0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: Thank you so much, Sam. And uh, it's lovely to see you all. Thank you so much for coming out this evening. Um, We're going to spend some time this evening thinking about humility. Now, Very few people, I think, question the merit of uh, humility. Very few people equally would suggest pride was a virtue. But we're probably all also very familiar with the struggle of trying to embody this particular virtue. It's quite hard to be humble, uh, I looked up uh, online, as you do, when you're sort of, uh, you know, casting about for a bit of inspiration, and I came up with some wonderful little pictures, which I'd like to share with you. Uh, first couple, sort of indicate, just show how easy it is to tie ourselves in knots when talking about humility. So here's the first one. So this is the preacher saying, the title of our message this morning is, Be Humble. May I know those who are humble here? And puts their hand up? Hmm, I got the right message. Let's see what he's done there. Okay, uh, here's another one. What? All I said was, I'm proud of my humility. Here's another. One. It's a tricky theological point. You say you covet your neighbor's humility. Or how about this one? Uh, it's not getting any easier in our social media age. What about this one? Gets, I think it gets right to the point. And the, the award for most humble blogger goes too. It's a tricky one to award. Or how about this last one? Great for leaders. Leaders who talk about humility are often the worst. Pastor William S. Smith, etc, etc, etc. Many letters. Your humble servant. I wonder if you think of yourself as a humble person. I wonder if if we as a church are a community that you would say is characterized by Humility. Sometimes at this stage in the service we we sort of take a bit of time to chat to one another, have a bit of think about it. And I was thinking, you know, perhaps we could just talk to one another about the subject of whether we feel we are humble people, (laughs) but then I thought we we shouldn't have that discussion. (laughs) Because that's a bit awkward, isn't it? It's so challenging. What does it take to create a humble community? It's hard. Well, the summary uh, answer, I guess, that I would love to look at with you together this evening is pretty simple. Knowing Christ is the way to humility. The way to humility is knowing Christ. And I'm going to give you a bit of a disclaimer before I carry on. I'm not wild about teaching on the subject of humility, uh, not because I don't long as much as you that our church be characterized by it. I do. It's just because I'm just another person on the same journey with you, probably a very long way behind you, in fact, on this particular journey, with an inglorious wake of failure behind me. In fact, it makes me slightly sick even standing up and talking about humility. But the Lord Jesus has given us somewhere to look which is better than here. It's him. And so, uh, with that disclaimer and caveat said, I tread forward with confidence, and I hope we can, we're going to think about why we need humility. Then we're going to look at Jesus' example of humility, God's verdict on humility. We're going to think about a couple of examples that Paul mentions of humility, and then we're going to think about what that means for us. Well, the first, first thing is this, though. Why do we need humility? Why do we need humility? Well, the reason humility is needed because, is because unity is needed. That's what comes across here. If you've got a Bible, um, you'll be really helped by this. Either open it on your device or if you've got the Bible there in, in the pews in front of you, page 1189, uh, you'll, you'll find Philippians. Just going a little bit further back, in chapter 1, verse 27, uh, it says, Paul uh, says to the Philippians, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you in, in, sorry, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So he's speaking to these guys, and he's really saying, look, I want you to be one. You've got some tough stuff coming up. You need to stand firm in the same place. You need to be striving together for the gospel. You need to share in the suffering of the gospel. That's Paul's vision for a church community. we just pause there for a moment, actually. Think about that. I wonder whether church feels like that for you. A bunch of people striving together. For the gospel, standing firm in the same place, sharing in suffering together. Is that your experience of church? It's something to think about. But the important thing here is how is it going to be achieved? How is this unity that Paul talks about going to be achieved? Well, one thing is he suggests that these Christians need to be of the same mind, they need to have the same outlook. He says, be like minded. Believe the same things. Have the same love. Be one in spirit, one in mind. And then the other thing to be unified that they need is humility. And that's what comes across so strongly in chapter 2 as we saw it. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, verse 1, if any comfort from his love, so on and so forth, like-minded, keep going. Number th- Verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. So if we're going to be unified, we need humility. But what is humility? We know why we need it, but what is it? Well, Paul spells it out here. Humility is, first of all, not being selfishly ambitious. Verse three: Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is when our plans come first. Now, sometimes they can be just really selfish plans, and selfish ambition is quite obvious in those things. You know, I basically I don't want to talk to you because I want to go home and just watch another box set or something, right? Other times, um, it can still be quite noble plans that we have. It's just they're completely our own plans. And they are so full in our own agenda that actually we have no flex for anyone else. I could give you some time. It's just, it'll have to be in the second half of March because my program is full. That's selfish ambition. It's, so it's without that. Humility is not having that. Humility is also not pursuing empty glory. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's when you're after a after goal... Say in your career or at school or or even in your ministry, because of what that goal is going to achieve for your own status. Humility is not that. Uh, Humility is valuing others above yourselves. He says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. The really striking thing about humble people is that you don't notice that they're humble but you do feel really special when you're around them because you notice that they value you more even than themselves. They act towards you as what you are, really precious, important, significant as a human being. They value you highly. Imagine being in a church full of people like that. And by the way, that also means that if you want to be noticed for being a good person or a nice person, humility is a terrible way forward. Don't bother with the humility. Do the obvious things, right? Because actually, humility hides you. Humility is valuing others above ourselves. Humility is also looking to the interests of others first before our own. Paul says in verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now I don't know about you. I'm kind of struggle on all of these, but this one I find particularly hard. But it's just the most amazing, wonderful characteristic. Perhaps you know some people who have it. Those people who see your needs, people who see your needs even before you've seen them. You know, they, they've got you a coffee before you even knew that you wanted a coffee, and then you get it, and you're like, oh, that's exactly right. That's amazing." They've thought about your holiday plans before you've even thought about your holiday plans. They've anticipated your time in hospital and your recovery afterwards because they look to your interests. That is an amazing collection of characteristics, isn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing to be that kind of person, to be surrounded by people like that? You can see why Paul encourages them. But how? How could we get ourselves to live like that? Well, paying attention to what Paul has said so far is not a bad start. But actually, the best thing we can do is to, do, to go where Paul takes us next. He says, look at Jesus. Yet ultimately, the answer to humility is, look at Jesus, the great example. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In your relationships, another translation puts it, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what attitude is that? What is the attitude of Christ? Well, Paul takes us on a journey, and instead of just saying what Jesus' characteristics were, he shows us what Jesus did He gives us, if you like, a history, a timeline. And he starts off by teaching us who Jesus is in himself. Verse 6. Jesus who being in very nature God. Jesus is God in nature. That's who Jesus is. And then he tells us about what Jesus relinquished. What did Jesus let go of? And basically it all comes under this basic idea of Jesus giving up his rights. So uh, it says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, all the things that Jesus gave up, he gave up his heavenly existence, the safety, the glory, He gave up his status. He went from God to human likeness. He gave up his role. He went from king in the heavenlies to servant. The one who is served to the one who serves. He served his friend. Serving all mankind, in fact, in his mission. And in fact, he gave up his life. He came, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross. All that he gave up. Now let's just pause there. That's just amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that Christ did that for you and for me? But perhaps as we listen to this record of what Jesus has done, we might think, that's a bit of a strange decision of Jesus to do. Why would a... Deity want to do that. Isn't that a bit foolish to give up all of that? When you had it, Jesus, you had everything you needed. What'd you go coming down here for? I mean, did he really have to? How do we know that this was actually a really good thing to do? Perhaps this was just a bit silly. Well, for that we get God's verdict. Having told us about what Jesus did, Paul then tells us what God thinks. Of that. And I'm reading from verse 9. He says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's like this. Because Jesus did all that, because he came all the way down, God raised him all the way up. Think of the Queen's award ceremonies, you know, and all these people come up and says, "Well, you know, frightfully well done for setting up that inspirational charity, and you, well done for singing that very popular song and making lots of money, and um, and so on and so forth." This is God's award ceremony, and who does the award go to? Well, the award is the resurrection, and He rewards it to the one who humiliated Himself who brought himself all the way down. Because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him and gave him the highest honor. You know, In a sense, what God was saying is, Jesus was made even more Lord by what he did, if that's possible. This was the most glorious, the most noble expression of his perfect nature, that he came all the way down. And the father looks at the humility of the son and he says, absolutely. Do you see this? Do you see what he did? This is it. This is the way. I wonder whether you can see that too. I wonder whether, when you see the life of Christ, you feel the same way. Absolutely, that, that kind of life. And I asked that question, knowing that's quite a significant thing to ask. Because probably most people naturally would look at the life of Christ and go, no, actually, not massively keen on that all going down. I was thinking of kind of just going up mainly. But this is what the Lord rewards. So, we've seen the need for humility. It's there because we need unity. We've seen uh, the example of Jesus' humility as he comes down. We've seen God's verdict on it, to raise Jesus back to life, his great reward ceremony. And then in the rest of the chapter, we, do, we get a lovely little snapshot of beautiful pictures of humility in Paul and his friends. I just want to just jump through them briefly. People who live like Christ... First of all, there's, there's Paul himself. Just have a look down to verse 17 of chapter 2. Paul talks about his effort, basically, for his, the Philippians. Verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. He, he wants to pour himself out for others. Specifically for their growth in faith. That's an amazing picture of humility. I wonder, have you ever done that? Have you got a vision for that? Have you got a heart for that? To pour yourself out for the growth in faith of others. I'm looking around this room and I know there's a bunch of people here who have got that heart. I've seen it. Let's pray that that grows in all of us. Next, there's Timothy. Timothy's there um, in verse 19 onwards. And uh, Paul says, uh, verse 20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. I, um, I have this... Uh, Prayer app called Prayer Mate. I don't know whether some of you have come across it. It's brilliant, sort of allows you to put your prayer request together and pray regularly, hopefully, if you you use it regularly. And one of the things there, I always have thoughtfulness because I'm just very thoughtless, frankly. But Timothy here is just brilliant. And we have some wonderful people like this in this church too. They show their humility in the way they express genuine concern for others' welfare. It's just so wonderful to watching it happen. I sort of see someone coming in the door, and another person just zooms over to them. So how did it go the other day when that happened? Or how are you? How are you recovering? Or whatever. That is a type of wonderful type of humility. And then finally, um, we've got good old Epaphroditus, uh, verse twenty-five, um, and onwards. Um, well, let's 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 read him. Let's read from um, twenty nine. In fact, welcome him, says Paul, in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. He was so humble; he was prepared to put his own life on the line. Would you risk your life for the work of the gospel? Would you risk your livelihood or your comfort? Would you risk your friendships? Would you risk the stability of your life right now? You know, you, perhaps you've got it all organized and you might have to go somewhere where it's less organized. Would you put your future prospects at risk? These are profoundly humble things to do. Would you put your reputation on the line? for the sake of the gospel. I Think of one friend of mine, um, Alex, who's, who's gone to Siberia for his life. That's it, gone. Go and serve the church there. He's not coming back. He's married, That's end of. I think of friends of mine who spent their lives in Mozambique, painstakingly translating the Bible, and now um, sort of tribal lords have come in and basically closed down, nicked all their possessions, taken their house, it's all over, and and they're back here. Not able to be in contact with all the people they loved. I think of another friend who who earns well, but lives really modestly. and So he can give away more to charity than than he actually keeps for himself. I think of another friend who decided to go down to uh, four days' work instead of five, just so that he could serve the the youth work in his church. Humility. There's a bunch of wonderful people that we've been thinking about and praying for even this today. They're wonderful guys who've been off with our young people um, for, for the weekend. And they could easily have just said, oh, frankly, I deserve a jolly good rest. It's the weekend, I've been working all week. And they've gone out and you know done a whole lot of fun and, uh, on the south coast to love the young people and nurture their faith. That's a profoundly humble thing to do because it's putting the interests of these young people beyond their own interests, which, frankly, they deserve to take care of. I could keep going for a long time. But I hope you get the idea. These guys here in Philippians, the people that I've just mentioned, and many others whom you will know, they are all in. They are all in. They have that humility in the face of the great need for the gospel, to put their own interests aside. And you know, that is why I'm standing here 2,000 years later, preaching the same gospel that was being preached in a pretty small town in the Mediterranean. Because generations and generations of Christians have had the humility to set their own needs and wants aside and have shared the gospel. Ordinary people like you and me who were moved powerfully by the Spirit of God. The humility of Paul and his friends. Well, I want to wrap up there and just uh, close with just a little bit of an opportunity for us perhaps to just think about what we're going to do with what we've studied and thought about this evening. Um, I'll ask the, the band to come up and join me What about you and me? What about you and me? Perhaps have a think about, can we grow in that same Christ-like humility? How can you grow? How can I grow in that same Christ-like humility? wonder whether this evening the Lord is putting something specific on your heart that he's calling you in humility to lay down an interest of yours, something which by rights you could absolutely have, but is calling you to set that aside for the sake of others. Perhaps the Lord is uh, calling you again this evening to some kind of costly obedience to him. Perhaps the Lord is challenging you in your marriage um, prefer your, your husband or your wife's interests perhaps the Lord is challenging you in the context of church to, to serve your brothers and sisters you know living this way is going to look different and people might think us a little bit strange as they did the Lord Jesus and as I did the early church but this is what the Lord still asks of us today He is looking for that kind of humility. He's looking for people today who are ready to give up their rights. People who are able to renounce those things that they deserve, that their contemporaries would perhaps never think of giving up. So I invite you to just look around. This is is our church, these are our people. This is the kind of group that Paul was speaking to you. And when he said, look out, not just for your own interest, but for the others, it was the actual others, these actual others. Where is the Lord going to grow us in this way? Which of us is going to go out ahead to love and serve our brothers and sisters? Well, the key to all that humility for us as it was for them is to know the humble King, the Lord Jesus, who shows us the way. We'll just take a a moment of quiet, perhaps to absorb some of those thoughts. And then I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. First a time of confession, and then a, a time of really asking the Lord for his help. And then we're going to continue in song. So let's just take some time. Lord we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus we thank you for his amazing humility Lord that he came not needing to but out of love for us into our world and was obedient to death even death on a cross for us thank you that he did that for us because he loved us so much Lord we're sorry for the times that we have looked to our own interests and not those of others for the times we have lived out of selfish ambition that we've followed vain conceits where we've considered ourselves the most important things in our own life Lord please forgive us for those times and change us by your spirit and teach us how we might change and Lord as we look to the future Lord encourage us give us vision and a hopeful, new way of being. Put your finger on that area of our our lives. Teach us in our hearts where we might be different and lead us on. And Lord, it's so challenging. We need the power of your spirit. Nothing else will do because this is challenging stuff. Lord, we don't have it in our hearts to give up our own interests. And yet we believe you are strong and powerful and alive in our lives so we ask you to do that and to change us to be like the humble king, the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.